Welcome to the podcast. Hi, my name is Bruce Mole, the editor of Commonwealth Magazine. Today we hear from U.S. Attorney Carmen Ortiz, whose office has conducted and is conducting a series of high-profile investigations of political figures in Massachusetts. Press leaks about those investigations have dominated the headlines and led to speculation that Ortiz's office is the source of them, which, if true, would be a blatant case of prosecutorial misconduct. For a story about the leaks, I interviewed Ortiz at her office on June 28th. She was joined during that interview by two of her press aides. One of the ground rules of the interview was that she would only speak generically and not discuss specific cases. What follows is an excerpt from the interview, which began with a question about how she thinks leaks occur. The issue of leaks is very troubling and concerning um, because leaks really serve, I think, to uh, impede and hamper investigations. Um, it, it diverts our attention, really, from an investigation because now you have to explain why is this happening. And people automatically uh, may come to think or defense will claim that uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office is responsible or may be responsible, as you just mentioned a moment ago, right. uh, which is um, really unfair because I don't believe... Um, that any of these leaks have come from any of our prosecutors or this office. I think we really um, are ethically bound to make sure that our investigations are, are confidential. Uh, but let me, let me just in general talk about leaks and, and how I think, why there are leaks in investigation, how they might occur. First of all, especially when you're at, at the federal level, uh, grand jury investigations are many times are very lengthy are complex and take time and they don't happen in a vacuum mm -hmm. uh, especially with time uh, we use grand jury subpoenas uh, to uh, to seek testimony from witnesses to seek documents of all different um, from all different sources it could be from a government agency it could be from a, a, a private uh, corporation, uh, it could be from a social service organization, so from a variety of different venues we seek documents via subpoena. The fact that the subpoena has issued and requested testimony or say evidentiary material such as documents is confidential, it's ruled guarded by 60 statute and we have to maintain that confidentiality. We as well as the grand jurors are um, basically sworn to keep everything confidential and not to leak, not to report, disclose to anyone outside the grand jury or anyone who's not assisting us mm -hmm. in an investigation. And when we start an investigation, we have to list, for example, unless, for example, you're my secretary or my paralegal, a member already of this office, mm -hmm. because presumably by the fact that you're a member of this office, you know what your obligations are when it comes to these investigations. But, for example, when you have... Um, whether it's an FBI agent or Secret Service or IRS, whatever nature the case may be, whatever agency is, anyone that's outside of our office that participates in an investigation and assists us in the investigation has to be, that name has to be provided to the court um, as being part of what we call the 6C list. And we let the court know these individuals are helping us with this investigation and they have been apprised of what their obligations are pursuant to 6C, that they cannot disclose their involvement in the, in, you know, in this investigation, that mm -hmm. they cannot disclose 
witnesses, any, any matters, as I think that the term is any matters occurring before the grand jury, they cannot disclose. So all of that is confidential. What is not confidential is for the person who receives or the company that receives or the agency or organization that receives this subpoena to maintain that confidentiality. Mm -hmm. So the person receiving the subpoena um, can share it with their family that they received the subpoena, certainly uh, with their lawyer, um, then the lawyer's staff and associates, whoever else that lawyer needs to help them in representing um, that client. It could be a series of lawyers. Sometimes an individual gets a subpoena and doesn't even know if they need a lawyer and is not sure what lawyer to have. So they can go and meet with different lawyers. All those lawyers will know what is going on, what right. the thing is. So they don't have to keep it secret. In terms of documentary subpoena that, that requests documents, when a subpoena goes to, um, let's say, a, a big corporation, in terms of gathering that information, you know, the, 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 not only the corporation, the keeper of records gets it, then general counsel sees it. They may bring in outside counsel right. to help in terms of making sure that they understand what is the subpoena looking for, do we have it, how do we make sure that we're being thorough to make sure we have you know, the documents or we don't, or the materials, or we don't have it, and then in gathering it, you know, who gets involved in that process? So there's Are a there large experts? universe There's a people. large universe of parties from defense attorneys, their staffs, the individuals, or, or companies, and then those that they share it with. And there's nothing that prevents them from sharing it. There's nothing from prevents them from going out on, on, you know, on the public steps and saying, hey, I just got a subpoena from the grand, you know, a grand jury subpoena from the U.S. Attorney's Office. And sometimes, more importantly, if there's someone within that circle that's thrilled that someone is getting it, there's nothing preventing that person from shedding light on that. Right. Because perhaps they have their own separate agenda for disclosing that, that all of a sudden somebody that maybe they don't like, that they have an issue with, or that they feel maybe is engaged in wrongdoing themselves, got the subpoena. So that's that piece of it, receipt. Now, individuals appearing... Uh, or matters coming before the grand jury. There's nothing preventing people who testify before a grand jury from disclosing that they appeared before the grand jury, that the prosecutor asked a series of questions, and that this is how they answered. I'm sure you remember, because I can see, I can see we both are of that age, because uh, I always used to shake my head, and I, I was a very young prosecutor then, and I said, wait a minute, I thought grand jury proceedings were secret. But do you remember the Monica Lewinsky, Kent Starr investigation? You know, you had a whole group of reporters camped outside the courthouse, and as witnesses came out, you know, some didn't reveal what they were asking the grand jury, but many did. Many right. held court, you know, held, uh, you know, and, and, and were interviewed by the media and reported, you know, what they were asked, what they were looking for, what they were asked to review. They might have been asked to look at a document. They might have been asked to look or listen to a recording. They might have been asked, you know, and that's... That happens in other investigations uh, mm -hmm. because when you are questioning a witness, say in a grand jury, in terms of making sure that they're being accurate, perhaps you want them to identify certain documents. Suppose you want them to testify about the accuracy, the reliability, the credibility of documents, of certain types of evidence. Nothing prevents them from going out and saying, yeah, they showed me this report, and this is specifically what they asked me about this report right. or this recording or this uh, these photos of, of some some scene and yes I knew exactly what it was and they're talking about it or I had no idea what it was right. so nothing prevents them from revealing that 
And so I think that that sort of gets lost out there because when you have a long investigation uh, and you have a lot of witnesses that have appeared before the grand jury, you have a lot of documents or other evidentiary type materials, whether it's photographs, financial records, whatever, that have been subpoenaed to the grand jury, there's a lot of room for disclosure people to the public. Of course they talk. And sometimes people want to talk because, you know, it makes them, for whatever reasons, I don't want to speculate, but there's a variety of reasons why people may want to come to the attention uh, of the media. There are some that may not want to have any attention, but they want the fact of that investigation to get out there. For us, um, that is not good news. You know, it's really very harmful news. How so? What do you mean? Because, you know, think about it. What, what does grand jury investigation say to you? It's an investigation. It's not like it's a prosecution. Right. Okay? Investigation comes about through a number of different mechanisms. So you're, you're, you're investigating allegations that have been made that, that you know, typically about, right. you know, fraud or corruption or, you know, some national security issue. You don't know in the beginning where this is going to lead. Sometimes you do when you're investigating something that's already occurred, the crime, and then you're trying to figure out who did it. Right. That's different. But, but even there also, you may think somebody did it, but you're not sure. Right. And you haven't developed that evidence yet. And so, number one, you, when you issue out those subpoenas, you want witnesses to come forward. You want other witnesses who, become, who may become aware because you know, an incident occurred to come forward and, and report. And you want them to do it willingly and to be forthcoming about it. If people think that your appearance before a grand jury, if you have information to provide, is going to get out there and your name is going to get out there and your information is going to get out there, how comfortable are you going to feel about coming to the grand jury or talking to the U.S. Attorney's Office? We don't want people out there becoming afraid, becoming intimidated, thinking they may be harassed. All of a sudden, the media is going to be knocking on their door, asking them what they know. And so that is going to be, it's sort of going to be like, um, you know, it'll paralyze the information. Not paralyze, but it'll, what's the word? Well, it does impede the investigation, but it it works as, um, you know, it kind of stops. Oh, I know know the word I want to use, but it's not coming to me. Maybe it it will in a minute. But so you have that piece in terms of how it hurts our investigation. People that you think could come forward, would be willing to come forward, um, would not be intimidated um, uh, or fearful of coming forward, can be. The other thing is, you know, some people out there think we, or I think just because I see the way it's written, that we get some degree of satisfaction when, you know, you, you, you smudge someone's reputation. Not so. Not so. Um, and especially in a situation, if we haven't developed sufficient evidence. We want the case to take us where the, you know, the evidence, we want to follow the evidence where it takes us. And so that's why it's important for investigations to be confidential. Yes, it could be that whoever the target of that investigation is, we will develop evidence, we will indict, we will prosecute. But if we don't, um, and especially, you know, on single individuals, that is very harmful. And we don't, I, we, I don't certainly, I don't draw any satisfaction when someone is um, held uh, in that fashion and we haven't completed that investigation. And what do you, because um, there are people that assume that it had to come from oh, your of office. of course, yeah. 
um, and you say you're confident that that is not happening. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do you gain that confidence? How, what, you, is there internal procedures or...? First of all, there are internal procedures. First of all, you know, as members of the bar, we're subject to certain, you know, professional responsibilities and ethical responsibilities that we're trained on, that we're made aware of. Uh, you know, we can be subject to losing our licenses. We can be subject to an OPR investigation that results in the loss of license, the loss of your job. Quite frankly, um, you can be subject to criminal prosecution. You can be in violation of the 6C statute. You can be, even if it's not 6C material, but it's part of an investigation and you've disclosed it, you can be prosecuted for obstruction of justice, you know, because that's going to affect the investigation. So I, I think that the prosecutors in this office aware of what the ramifications could be. Let's start with the first one. You want to protect your investigation. You want it not to be impeded by a leak, by the public attention to it. Then secondly, or firstly, just, uh, just as important, you also don't want to subject yourself to any kind of um, liability where your career, your reputation is, is going to be at risk. Mm -hmm. I certainly wouldn't, and I don't. I think I work with real professionals that um, are aware of that, and okay. especially, you know, in some of these cases that are being, uh, you know, in some of the cases that you've talked about, it's um, it's you've got to, you know, these are high-profile, significant matters. The stakes are high for the prosecutor in terms of protecting the integrity of the investigation and the prosecution and protecting their own reputation. So I, when I see, I read an article in the paper, I shake my head and I go, oh, because I know people will think that and I know that they're wrong and it's troubling. Do people that work for you, now I'm, I'm basing this, you mentioned the Office of Professional Responsibility down in OPR, Washington. OPR, yes, in Washington. Um, so I went and looked at their website um, to sort of see what they do. Um, and uh, I just was curious, do, do people in your office, if they want to talk to the press, do they have to get permission to do that, or how does that that's work? A, that's, another, uh, that's a very good question, because um, um, that's another policy that we have in place, that AUSAs are not um, authorized to speak directly to the media. I'm not saying that they don't say hi in the cafeteria, they bump into somebody that they've seen in court regularly. Uh, but in terms of talking about a case, first of all, nobody talks to the media or anybody else about investigations. Let's start with that one, because mm -hmm. investigations are confidential. I don't talk to my husband or my family about investigations, even if they, they know more from the press, from what they read in the Globe, than they would ever hear from me. And I think most prosecutors, I think all prosecutors understand that you don't discuss an investigation, not only just not with the media, but with anybody. On a case that you're prosecuting, um, I mean, the rule is you don't, but in terms of media, especially like, for example, you have a plea or a sentencing hearing and the media has an interest and they want to talk to the prosecutor involved, it goes through Christina. And if it's a real sensitive case uh, that, that they, they want to talk to the prosecutor about, she'll check in with me okay. and say, do you have a problem with this? I think this might be good. Um, for example, this, uh, at the end of the Bulger prosecution, mm -hmm. after the convictions were in, uh, the media obviously had a strong interest. They had a strong interest in talking to the trial team beforehand. That happened also in the Marathon case. We waited until the case was, uh, the jury came back with a verdict. Um, and in the Marathon case, we held off because that was a two, 
if you remember, right. it was to, to, you know, the penalty phase trial as well. But in the Bulger case, um, they, were, they did speak to the media, and um, Christina oversaw that. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our executive producer, Lear Johansson. You can subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Thanks a lot. Right